It's a great privilege to be here. And I too want to say thank you to you as a church. I'm having flashbacks to when I was in grade 9, 10, 11, and 12, and I was a quizzer. And uh, quizzing literally transformed my life. It informed my pathway. It gave me the call to ministry and then to missions. It gave me an understanding of the word and, and, and a picture of how much God loves us. And so I, I saw people changing garbage cans and doing nasty things and, 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 and serving, and it was amazing. And they say the true giving begins when what you give has no benefit for you. For many of you, there wasn't a personal benefit, but there's a benefit for the kingdom. There's a benefit for those 300 young people. There's a benefit even for the nations that we're going to talk about this morning. So I want to say thank you. And I want to say thank you for every one of you who has ever prayed a prayer for one of our missionaries or for any missionaries around the globe. Prayer is powerful. I don't get to preach on it this morning, but it's powerful. And if you are discouraged in any way, I want you to know that almost every time we send out our prayer letter, we saw things happen. So continue to pray. I want to say thank you for those of you who give to the Global Advance Fund, which is the means by which we send out our 225-plus missionaries around the globe. And for those of you who don't, if you don't, and you were to begin to give only $20 a month, and we did that across all of our churches in Canada, we could triple our missions giving to $45 million a year. So think about it. If you'll just think about that, if, you're, if it's not part of your regular activity, and after you hear the word this morning, you'll know why it should be. But I just encourage you in that. So in praying and in giving. And then I'm challenging, and our, and our district superintendent and our president and people across the country are challenging every church to pray that God would raise up one new international worker to send from your congregation. And it's happening. I don't get to tell those stories this morning either, but it's happening. And so I, I just I give you that as a challenge and as an encouragement. And so this morning, I want to, te- I want to speak to you from God's word And if you want to just set your Bibles to the side, that doesn't mean that we're not going to use the Bible. It means we're going to use so much of it, we don't have time to go through and look at each one of the passages. But I will will quote from where we're going. And we want to see, we're going to move from Genesis to Revelation in about 14 minutes. So, Pastor, if you're not impressed, you should be. And we'll we'll see what happens, okay? See world through Jesus' eyes. Father, by your Holy Spirit, come and anoint your word, anoint your people, anoint your servant, and give us your eyes this morning. Open them up so that we can see things that we haven't seen before, and we can especially see how much you love the peoples of the earth and how you're committed to bringing them to yourself. We pray this in your name. Amen. Seeing the world through Jesus' eyes. That's the that's the theme for this morning. But the question that we need to ask then is how does Jesus see the world? And I want to use a metaphor or a picture and, and say that Jesus sees the world through two lenses, through the macro lens or the big picture lens and the micro lens, the close-up lens. Now, I was in a group that was almost all 25 and under, and I said, does anybody here know what bifocals are? And they all said, no. Well, bifocals have two lenses, right? I've had them since I was in my mid-30s, so don't be ashamed. Anybody here wear bifocals, please? Put your hand up proudly. Put them up, okay? Now take them and exchange them with the person next to you. How does that work? 
work. It doesn't work very good, right? We have to have the lenses in focus. So we have the big picture lens, and we use the word of God to give us this lens. First of all, how does Jesus see the world? He sees the world through the big picture lens. He sees the world as a family of nations. Nations not being geopolitical entities, not like the country of Canada, okay? But being people groups that have the same culture, customs, language, identity, and, and, and they consider themselves as a unit, okay? And so God sees the world as a family of nations, and no one knows exactly how many of these nations there are, but there's about 16,500, okay, on the planet. And so they all began with Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. Here we go. They were the parents of the human race. From Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, there was only one nation. But in Genesis chapter 11, the languages were confused have what is called the table of nations, and there were 70 nations born, okay? Remember, nations, same language, culture, customs, entity, and identity. Now, God scattered them across the face of the earth, but his plan was not to abandon them and just leave them out there. And, and Genesis, I never saw this before, but Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 are so strategically placed together. So he scattered the nations of the earth in Genesis 11, and in Genesis 12, he shows us his plan to redeem all nations. So he chose this guy by the name of Abe. Anybody here named Abe? Any? None? Any Mennonites here? Now that's a miracle. You have Mennonites and no Abe. That's, that's a miracle. So he chose this guy. His name was Abraham. And anybody know what Abram means? Abram means exalted father. Exalted father. And here, this guy was born. His parents named Abram exalted father. And he was just a baby. Isn't that kind of weird? God already knew it was a prophetic declaration. This man would be used. And then when it came to this point, God changed his name and made his name Abraham. Anybody know what Abraham means? Father of many nations. So God chooses, chooses Abraham or Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And he says, Abe, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to whom? To all nations. Through you, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. Any of you, our parents here, raise your hand, please. Have any of you ever told your children something more than once? <laughs> Why have you told them something more than once? It's because it's important. Because it's important. God said, this is really important, Abram, who became Abraham. And he repeats it to him in Genesis chapter 13, in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 17, in Genesis chapter 22. And then he repeats it to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis chapter 27. And then he repeats it to Abraham's grandson Jacob in Genesis 28, in Genesis 35. And then he repeats it to Joseph, the great-great-grandson in Genesis chapter 50. If it's important, it's repeated many times. How many times do you think that this promise is repeated in one way or another throughout the Bible? 
Anybody want to guess? I guess? Almost 300 times in the Old Testament, and then we think, well, that was just the Old Testament, you know, and this didn't really continue through. Almost 100 times in the New Testament. This is really important. This is the backbone of Scripture. This goes all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. So about 400 years passed. By this time, Abraham's family, they become a great nation. They're held as slaves in Egypt, and God displays power through the 10 plagues. Now, how many of you know that the 10 plagues weren't just nasty dogs and insects? They were actually gods that Egyptians worshipped. And one by one by one, God knocked them off and he said, you're not God, you're not God, you're not God, you're not God. And if you look into the context and look for several specific verses, it says, so that, that, that all the nations will know that I am the God of the whole earth. This is the message of Scripture. And so, and so they moved through, and it took them a while, but they got to the promised land. And the promised land was not just a great piece of real estate, right? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was great. But it says in Ezekiel verse 5, this is Jerusalem, which I have set where? In the center of the nations. In the center of the nations with countries all around her. And, and, and some scholars agree and say that most of the major trading routes of the then known world passed through Jerusalem. And when they passed through, the plan was that they would hear about the God of all nations. And it doesn't even stop there. If we continue to look through the scriptures very quickly, in, <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 16, listen to this. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Do you say amen in this church? Sometimes, once in a while. The Lord reigns, Amen. Amongst all the nations. And then you move into the Psalms and you think, well, the Psalms are just for prayer and for reflection. No, the Psalms are full. They are full of the nations. Psalm 36.10 said, I will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Psalm 49.1 says, listen, hear this, all you peoples. That's another word for nations. Listen, all you who live in the world. Psalm 63.3 and 4 says, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Are you getting it? Are you seeing it? The historical books, we go into what they call the historical books, and the leaders of the then known world, they came to consult Solomon. Why did they come to consult Solomon? They came to find about, out about his wisdom and the wisdom of his God. Israel didn't do so good because they were supposed to make known Yahweh to all the nations. Well, they, they actually went into disobedience and they went into captivity. What happened to God's plan? Did it fall apart? No. If you go into the, into the book of Daniel, Daniel is one of the most missionary books there is in the Old Testament. It's amazing. You've got Nebuchadnezzar, who is the dictator of the entire world. And what does he say after God humbles him? He says, this is the God of all nations. Are you getting the picture? You go into the prophets, and, you, and, and this is just two examples, but Nehemiah, or not Nehemiah, uh, God reveals his heart 
through Jonah, even though he wasn't a very willing servant, he was, he, was, he was God's prophet to Nineveh. That was another nation. And so to have this idea that, that missions is only Matthew chapter 28, 18 and 20, when Jesus was, he was finishing up and he was saying, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, remember, go and make disciples of all nations. No, it is the core. It's the heart of the word. It goes all the way through. If it wasn't for God's heart for the nations, we wouldn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because we have Jesus Christ, the son of God, crossing the greatest cultural barrier that ever existed, coming from heaven to earth to teach us about himself and to reach out to the nations. And if, and if it wasn't for God's heart for the nations, we wouldn't have the book of Acts because it is the expansion of the church and the reaching of the nations. We wouldn't have the book of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, maybe Hebrews, we're not sure. (laughs) We wouldn't have that because those are all written by a missionary to churches of the nations. And then we come to the book of Revelation. This is the most exciting. Here we are. How many minutes? I don't know. Revelation 5. It says in Revelation 5, 9, Jesus, you were slain with your blood. You purchased men from, for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. He says the same thing four ways because it's so important. And then in Revelation 7, 9, he says it again. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, and they cried out, salvation belongs to our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the story of the Bible. That's how we see with the big lens. We have the word of God, and we have the spirit of God. And when I conclude in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you, do you want to see the world the way Jesus does? You just stick up your hand. I'm going to pray for you that God will open up our eyes so that when we're reading the Bible, we'll see this all over the place, and we will be moved to reach out. So that's the big picture. How about the close-up picture? God created all the nations. They were estranged from him through sin, and he wants to have someone from all of them back into relationship with him. There's about 16,000 of them, but there's about 6,000, about 10,000 are what we call reach. That's 2% or more. They have their own church. They have their own Bible and their language. They're able to reach out to their own people, but there's about 6,000 that need some help, and some of them, they have no access Did you know that we have the Bible in English in almost 500 different translations? And did you know that there are thousands of people groups that don't have any of the Bible in their own language? Something has to change. And so this is the reason that we have Christ-centered eyes. We see the world as Jesus does. We see and we say we can't reach those 6,000 plus, but we can reach a few. We're reaching the Yazidis in Iraq. As the Christian Missionary Alliance, we're sending people in there. We're reaching people in Senegal, the Wolof and the Fulani. And there's all kinds of other parts of the body of Christ, and we're working together towards this, but we need to do our part. And so we study the scriptures with the lens and we begin to see the big picture. But then we have to have the close-up picture. And so I just took the phrase, and Jesus saw, 
and I went through some of the scriptures in the New Testament because we need to have the close-up lens. Jesus doesn't just see all of these big families and these big nations, but he sees individuals. He sees moms and dads. He sees kids. He sees, he sees poor people. He sees rich people. He sees individuals who need to know him personally. And so in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, it says Jesus was taking a walk beside the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were fishermen. And he said, come, follow me. And he walked a little further, and he saw another two brothers, James and John, and they were fishermen as well. And he called them too. If we're going to have Christ-centered eyes and see from the close-up lens, the micro lens, we're going to need to follow Jesus' example. Now, we don't have a beach here. We don't have a Sea of Galilee. We have a lot of snow and wind. But we, we have to find some cultural equivalent where we will actually get out into the marketplace, into, into our neighborhoods, into the places where we work, and we actually see people. We see hardworking people just like Jesus did. People who, who had a hunger for more than fish, more than just the physical. We need to see the boats and the nets and the people and the individuals who are estranged from God. I tell you a story of one of my friends. His name is Gilberto. Gilberto came into my living room in uh, 2001. I had met him previously. I hardly remembered, but I had met him. And he came in with his wife and his two little kids. We had what we called a house church or a cell church. So there's anywhere from 20 to 40 people in our living room Sunday mornings. And he came in and immediately I looked at him and I thought his wife dragged him to church. I don't know if there's any husbands here that's happening to you. But if it is, it's because your wife really loves you. Just remember that. And he just looked uncomfortable, but he, he made it through. He made it through all the singing and, and praying and reading and scripture stuff. And, and after we had coffee and I went to talk to him and I said, so Gilberto, um, how did you get here? He said, well, my wife said she was going to church in a house. And I didn't know what that was about, so I thought I should check it out. Translated, this is probably some weird cult, and I better make sure this isn't, she's not getting into something bad. I talked a little more. I said, Gilberto, what do you do? He said, I'm a lawyer, and I know you can't be a lawyer and a Christian at the same time, so that's out. <laughs> open to the gospel, huh? Normally, we would just say, well, he's not open. You know what? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us. And I, I said, Gilberto, would you like to have coffee this week? He told me years later, he said, Paul, I had no interest in coffee. I had no interest in spiritual things, but I couldn't figure out why a guy like you would want to spend time with a guy like me. And for six months, we drank coffee. I, I joke, I took up chain smoking because he was a chain smoker. Uh, you know, um, we have to put aside, I, I hate smoking, like it bothers me, it's almost like I'm allergic to it. We have to put aside some of our preferences so we can listen. And after about six months, I said, and they started to come almost every Sunday, and, and, and after about six months, I said, Gilberto, why don't you and Laura come to my house Saturday mornings for five weeks? We'll walk through the book of Mark. We'll see what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and then you can decide. And he did. And I remember that morning in our kitchen around the, coffee, around the table drinking coffee. I said, so Gilberto, what do you think? 
And in the equivalent in English, he said, sign me up. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And you see, he and his wife, they came. And they're part of those 6,000 unreached people groups because they're from the middle upper class in Mexico City. And uh, I talked to him last week. He's um, going to close up his, he's a corporate lawyer. He's going to close up his business because he wants himself to full-time ministry. That's taken like 16 years or whatever. We need to see people with Jesus' eyes. We need to see people because he was a guy who was just searching. He was just, he had no meaning. He didn't understand. He had lots of money. He had lots of friends. He had lots of, all this other kind of stuff. See the world through Jesus' eyes. Let's look again. In Matthew 8, 14. So we, we reach out to share Jesus' love. Matthew 8, 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her. If we're going to have Christ-centered eyes, we're going to have to look at sick people around us. That's the honest truth. In chapter 8, before Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law sick, he also saw a leper. In fact, Jesus reached out and touched him and he said, be clean. And after that, he met a centurion whose, whose servant was sick and he was, and he was dying and, and, and the centurion said, Why will you heal him? And Jesus gave the word and he was healed. And so if we're going to see the people around us, we need to look at sick people. And sometimes that's not easy. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. Your pastor is probably a much better Greek scholar than I am. I don't know. I hardly pass Greek. I'm, I'm confessing to all of you. It was by God's grace and the professor's compassion. Uh, but I know some words. And there's a word in this. It says, when, it says that he, he, was, he had compassion or he was moved with compassion. That word literally means, it, it means the inner seat of emotions, the guts. So when Jesus sees sick people, he is moved with compassion. Yes, he heals because he is the son of God. Yes, he heals because that's signs of the kingdom. Yes, he heals to, to display his power and his authority. But he also heals just because he has compassion. And he loves people. I tell you the story. I was actually in a time where I was praying. I was saying, God, make me more compassionate. And it was our last Sunday in Mexico City, our first term. And have any of you ever been to a Mexican party? Oh, man, they know how to party. They are, they are a festive, celebratory people. And they were going to have this party in our honor because we were leaving. Not, they weren't happy because we were leaving, but they were, they were having a party in our honor. And, and, they, and they had uh, this, this great big spit of meat called a taco al pastor. You know, it's wonderful. It's, they're going to serve them in heaven, I'm sure. And it was just going to be a great morning. And, and the phone rang in the office, and it was these people who had nev never been to the church or maybe once, and they said, our dad is dying. We need, uh, we need a pastor, they said a pastor, to go to the hospital and pray for him. And I, being the compassionate person I was, I went around and looked for pastors. <laughs> Busy. 
I didn't want to go. I'm, I'm telling you the honest truth because sometimes, you know what? It's out of obedience. When we want to see through Jesus' eyes, we're going to obey. We're going to show compassion even if we don't feel it. And, and so I went. I didn't want to miss the party. But I went. And in the taxi on the way there, the, these daughters, they said, our dad is in, in this room and, and such and such a bed. And they said, you're going to have to get past security. They're going to ask you if you're a priest. So I thought, hmm. I got there. They asked if I was a priest. And I thought, the priesthood of all believers? Yes, I'm a priest. Okay. So they let me in. And, and I went there. And in bed number seven, there was this guy by the name of Noe. He's just skinny. just skin and bones. Just skin and bones and, and tubes and everything in his arms and nose. And they had said that he would die within 72 hours. And you see, in their religious tradition, if there wasn't somebody who performed last rites or prayer, then, of course, he's lost forever. They didn't know Jesus. But I said, I just started to pray. I shared very simply, Jesus Christ loves you, Noe. He, he wants to forgive your sins. And if, and if you can hear me, I, I, I thought he was unconscious. I didn't know, but you minister to, you minister to the Spirit. And, uh, and when I finished praying for his soul, I said, you know, Noe, God came not only to forgive our sins, but also to heal us from our sicknesses and diseases. I'm going to pray that Jesus will touch your body. And so I prayed, and, and nothing happened in that moment, and I went out, and, you know, the enemy just whispered in my ear, you just, you, that was a waste of time. You missed the tacos, you know. And it, was, it was terrible. It was terrible selfish. They said, 72 hours, he'll be dead. All the medical people. 72 hours, I got a phone call. Noe had walked out of the hospital. And he came to church the next Sunday morning and he said, he said, can I get up and say something? We, thought, we don't know him, we don't know anything about him, but we thought, well, okay. And he got up and he said, last Sunday, Pastor Paul, he came here and he prayed for me and I could hear him and Jesus, he saved me and he healed me. And I'm here and I want to follow Jesus. If we're going to see through Jesus' eyes, we need to display compassion. We need to believe that God is a God of power to save and of to heal. And, and I know I've had a lot of healing disappointments. My mom died of cancer. I have, I, I, I'm not unrealistic. But we need to pray continually for healing because Jesus is our healer. And the time is running out. But it starts in our home. Okay? It starts in our home, so as parents and for one another. In our home, our kids, every single one of them can tell you at least one story of where Jesus has been their healer. I'll never forget our daughter. She had Her back was all messed up, and it caused headaches and all kinds of problems. And one day we were sitting in our apartment, and, and, and my wife had just come back from a conference where they taught on healing, and so she was really excited. And, and she said, why don't we pray for Alicia? And I said, okay, and so we all got together and all the kids and, and she put her, <coughs> her feet on the coffee table. We don't recommend that, children, please. But uh, she put her feet on the coffee table and, and we recognized one foot was considerably shorter than the other. And literally, we just all put our hands on her feet and very simply prayed, Jesus, make her foot grow. And, and right before us, this is the only, I've, I've had a lot of miracles and and, but instant ones right before my eyes, this is the only one I've ever seen. And, and, her, and her leg just straightened out, just like this. 
and everything straightened in her back and her headache and problems were taken care of. Starts in our home. I'll never forget, we were going to Field Forum. Field Forum is like an annual gathering of all the missionaries. It's like Christmas, it's wonderful. The kids love it. Highlight of the year. The day before we were to leave, we woke up and all our kids had measles. And they were wailing, crying, and now we can't go. And, and I said, well, I don't know what Jesus will do, but we're going to anoint and pray for you, each one of you. And we did that. And the next morning they woke up and they were all completely healed. You're, you can't heal anybody. Take the pressure off yourself and offer the power and the presence and the love in Jesus' name. I've had people I've prayed for and they haven't been healed and they have been significantly impacted for the kingdom. And so, and, and especially, they say that mental health issues are, are the fastest growing health problem in the world. And this too is close to my heart because I have my wife and my daughter have both struggled with depression. But we have seen as we've gone to Jesus over and over and over again, there has been healing. And so as we conclude this morning, you say this has kind of been all over the place. First you start talking about all the nations of the world and then you're just talking about being with people. Yeah, that's it. That's the top, the top lens, all the nations. All the nations are going to be gathered around the throne of God. And there's going to be people there from Liberia. I was born in Liberia. My parents went to Liberia at a great cost. And I'm going to meet those people because my parents were faithful and a whole church sent them and prayed for them. And Gilberto's going to be there. And there's going to be the Yazidis, the people where we have missionaries. And there's going to be people from Senegal where we have missionaries. And so we need to see, we have to have this lens. And right here in your city, in your workplace, the nations are coming here. And so we need to have eyes that are open. So I want to just lead you in a simple prayer. If you want to have eyes that are open, remember we use the scriptures to get the lenses. It's not just magical. It's the scriptures by the spirit. They open up our eyes. So right now, um, just, just before I, I pray, I remind you of a passage in um, Luke 18. There was a guy by the name of Bartimaeus. He's a blind man. He's on the side of the road. Down, uh, by, I think they were coming up from Jericho. And, and Jesus in a big crowd. And Bartimaeus is there. And he's, here's the crowd. It's louder than it was here last night. It was crazy. And he's, he's saying, who is it? And they're saying, it's Jesus. And he starts calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And his own disciples say to them, shut up. May we never be like the disciples. May we never get in between Jesus and those who are calling out to him to be able to see. And so Bartimaeus, he calls out even louder. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears it. And depending on which, there's two different accounts of it. He says, come, come. What do you want, Bartimaeus? He said, I want to see, I want to see. This morning, if you want to see, like I, I see all you young people there. I sat in that same kind of road when I, I, row just when I was your age and I had no plan on being a missionary, I had no plan on being a pastor. 
And not everybody is called to go, and not everybody's called to be a pastor. But some are, and everyone's called to be involved. So this morning, if, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and all you're, this is all you're responding to, all you're saying is, I want to see the world the way Jesus does. If that's your desire, just stand up. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. You're not going to come forward. I'm not going to do anything like that. You're just going to stand up, and I'm going to pray for you. Would you do that right now? And I'm going to pray, okay? If you want to see the, the world the way that Jesus does, I'm going to pray that that will be your experience, okay? So great. I'm going to pray. The worship people can come up, and then we're going to sing a song. Oh, Jesus, I thank you that you're so faithful. I thank you that your spirit is upon us. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that you have come to give sight to the blind. And Father, where we've been blind, I ask that you would forgive us. Where we've been hard-hearted, we ask that you would, you would change our hearts. Where we have not seen what you want us to see, we ask for your humble forgiveness. And now we ask Jesus by your Holy Spirit to anoint our eyes and open them up so that when we read your word, we see your, your heart and your longing for all the nations of the earth. And that when we walk out into the street, and when we go to school, and when we are in our neighborhood, and when we're in the grocery store, and we see people who are hurting, who need to know you, that you would fill us with your compassion. And that we would respond, and that people would come into the kingdom and that we can look forward to the day where we will gather around your throne with somebody from every nation on the earth and celebrate for all of eternity. We thank you.